0: Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word that is true. It is so true that we could count our whole lives upon it. And we thank you that to us, you are freely generous. So we pray by the power of your word and your Holy Spirit at work in us that we might be generous people to the glory of your name. And we ask this through Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Um, We're gonna look these next four weeks about generosity. We're gonna talk about money and we're gonna talk about our heart and giving and all sorts of things around it. It's often one of those topics that people don't like to talk about in the church, and and often I think people in ministry don't like, like to talk about it because they know how uncomfortable it can be. And yet I would say this, I love talking about this subject. I love talking about money and its role in the kingdom and God's perspective on it because I find when you talk about it and you think rightly about it and you teach about it, then you understand the power of our ability to invest in eternal things and be freely generous with our resources that God's given to us. So let me start off by making a very first important point. I want you to hear, as we talk about money, about the tremendous generosity of God. It's very important to start with that fact. God is extremely and immensely generous. If we interviewed the average person in Greensboro and we said, tell us what you think about God, they might say, he's loving, he's distant, he's mysterious, probably one of those things or a combination of those things. But I don't find many people say when I talk to them that God is generous. And yet it's all over the scriptures and we're gonna see it today. If you wanna know someone, the best way to know someone is to spend time with them to travel with them. I was at a conference and Sergio and I shared a room at the Hampton Inn in Black Mountain, go Hampton Inn. And I apologized profu- profusely to, during and after, to Sergio, I'm sorry. I sound like a chainsaw at night, I apologize. Forgive me, the best thing in that room was there was a white noise machine. Complimentary of Hampton Inn, way to go Hampton Inn. Like. Um, And every morning, right, Sergio, he would wake up, I would say, I'm so sorry. Um, So sorry. Um, So you learn a lot by traveling with folks. You learn a lot about playing a game with them. I will not mention any of my children's names, but one of them would throw their mom under a bus to win a game. Um, You see how competitive and intense uh, we are when we play games. So you learn a lot about playing a game. Um, I do have a rule about games. I will never invite you over to my house to watch Oklahoma State play if you are not a sold-out, die-hard Oklahoma State fan. Because if... Oklahoma State loses. I don't want you to see what I become. <laughs> so you have to sign a non-disclosure agreement. I will love your team and not speak ill of them, and I will not say how you act when they lose. Um, so you just you learn a lot about these things of spending time with folks, of seeing them, of getting to know them. How do you know God is a generous God? I want you to think about that. How do you know God is generous? How do you experience that reality as you've come to know him or seek him? I would say this. One of the key ways that you know God is generous is that you're here this morning. You are living, breathing, and having your being today. You have been created by God in his image. He is immensely generous by giving you life. And you might say, well, I don't like my life or I don't experience abundance of life. Nevertheless, God has made you in his image and he has an eternal plan for your life, an eternal destiny for you. He is interested in an eternity with you. That's his generosity. Now, I was a biochemistry major in college and my junior year, I started taking, you have to take all your prereqs and then you get to the, Hard classes, and so my junior year fall semester, I took a biochemistry 101 class. I forget the number it was, and the professor was terribly boring. Uh, terribly boring. The class was at 8:30 a.m., and by the fall in Oklahoma, it kind of gets dark and cloudy and yucky. And I remember this one morning, he's talking about the Krebs cycle. The Krebs cycle is the is the biological process of your body um, that takes one oxygen atom and burns it, or respires it through your cells, which gives you life. And so he's going on and on, droning on and on, kind of like I'm doing right now, and we're all half asleep, and then he steps away from the chalkboard. Raise your hand if you know what those are. Yeah, just three of you. Um, He steps away from the chalkboard, and he says this. He points at the Krebs cycle on the chalkboard, and he says, if you think that came about by billions of years of random chance. And then he pointed, you are a fool. And then he turned back around. It was amazing, like, wow, what inspired him? But I just remember thinking as a young Christian, that was a profound moment for me to hear a smart, educated PhD person say that faith and science and reason are not in contradiction. To one another, that God has so designed the world that even the intricate details of how an oxygen atom is burned in your body gives you life. God is freely and immensely generous. Michael Reeves writes in a book called Delighting in the Trinity, and he says this, think of God the Father, he is, by his very nature, life-giving, he is a father One has to wonder if a barren God, who is not a father, is capable of giving life and so birthing a creation. But one can have no such doubts with the Father. For eternity, he has been fruitful, potent, vitalizing. For such a God, parentheses, and only for such a God, it seems very natural and entirely unsurprising that he should bring about more life and so create. God is immensely generous through his creation. And the fact that you exist today and are sitting here listening to this is proof and a sign of God's generosity. Again, this writer Reeves says, this God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, does not begrudge having someone else beside him. He enjoys it. He has always enjoyed showering his love on his Son and in creating, he rejoices to shower it on children he loves through the sun. There's a, a pretty famous commentator, teacher. His name's D.A. Carson. He teaches up in Chicago, Illinois. And D.A. Carson once said this about the letter we're going to look at, 2 Corinthians. He said, If I had to pick between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and I don't have to, but if I had to, I'd pick the New Testament. And if I had to pick the gospel over the epistles or vice versa, and I don't have to, I'd pick the epistles. And if I have to pick a letter, and I don't have to, but if I did, I'd have to pick 2 Corinthians. And if I had to pick a chapter out of 2 Corinthians, and I don't have to, I know you're getting tired of me saying that, I'd pick chapter 8. Chapter 8. And he says, and if I had to pick one verse out of chapter 8, and I don't have to, but if I did, I'd pick 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Listen to this passage. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Interesting. Interesting. New Testament scholar, commentator would say if he had to pick one verse out of the whole Bible, it would be this one. It's profound as it shows us God is immensely generous that he would empty himself of power and might, come to us, become poor on our account, suffer on our account so that we, through his poverty, his releasing of his power and might, might make us rich. With eternal life, life that will last. So I want us to think about this point. It's very important that God is immensely generous as we talk about money. So, how to be generous then? Um, I have started to manifest behaviors that I kind of have a PTSD moment when I think, I've become my dad. So, I will yell at my children and say, I'm not air conditioning the outside. And then I go, Oh my gosh, it's true. I've become him. Um, I have more hair than him, though, so I win that race. Um, but, you know, the thing about being a Christian is that we are to be imitators of Christ, we are to look like Christ, we are to become like Christ. And so, if God is immensely generous, Jesus, immensely generous to us. To live the Christ life is to be generous to God and generous to others. So how do we do that? Well, there is much about generosity, and there's many ways to talk about generosity. One is being generous with our time. I just came from the New Wineskins Conference, and a number of some people in this room, a number of people from this church, a number of people from all over the world came there, giving freely of their time to serve the greater cause of building God's kingdom. It was spectacular to see all that happened just to pull off a weekend of this conference. People who gave generously to be there with their time. Yesterday we had our farmer's market. Angela Kay said a number of people showed up to help serve, generous of their time on a Saturday morning when you could be drinking coffee and watching game day, looking at how your team's going to do. They showed up to serve others. That's amazing acts of generosity. And where we see a healthy, vibrant church, we see amazing acts of generosity. But there's also generosity with our talents. God has given us abilities to share those abilities. What we know and what we have our our way of helping and serving others, being generous with our talents. If you have the gift of singing, sing. If you have the gift of leading, Lead, if you have the gift of praying, pray. Those kinds of things, the gifts that God has given us. But the last thing is being generous with our money. So in the Bible, there's a framework given for us. It is how to be generous with our money. And it says there's three ways. The first way is tithing. The second way is offerings. And the third way is almsgiving. So that's the framework. And I must admit, I find most Christians don't know that. And so when we hear giving, we usually have a confusion about this framework. Tithing, offering, and almsgiving. Now, as you're probably getting a little nervous, a little, little reluctant, oh no, what's he going to say today? I want, you to, I want you to hear what Jesus thinks about this subject first. His favorite subject was not sex, racism, injustice. He did talk about those things, make no mistake. His favorite subject wasn't heaven or hell or eternal life. By far, Jesus' number one context of discussion was around money. Think about that. By far, he talked more about money, and as some theologians and commentators would say, um, that he talked more about it than all of these subjects combined. Why? Why? Well, listen to Jesus. Where your treasure is, your heart is also. That's why he talked about it. Because there's a rival between money and its love, the God of money, and God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And it's often the biggest rival for your very heart. Paul The Apostle Paul says the love of money, the love of it, the desire to have it, get it, need it, want it, that love is the root of all evil. Think about that. All the forms of injustice and um, evil in this world are due to this. I'd like to quote for you the great North American theologian Ariana Grande. (laughs) Whoever said money can't solve your problems must not have had enough money to solve them. They say, which one? I say, nah, I want all of them. <laughs> Happiness is the same price as red bottoms. My spot, my smile is beaming, my skin is gleaming. I know, you're shocked that I'm reading this <laughs> in church. My smile is beaming, my skin is gleaming, the way it shines, I know you've seen it. I bought a crib just for the closet, both his and hers, I want it, I got it. I want it, I got it, I want it, I got it. You like my hair, she thinks, just bought it. (laughs) I see it, I like it, I want it, I got it. She's being very honest. She is. She's being very honest about our cultural love and obsession with money. So how then are we to be generous? Well, this is why Jesus says, you, it is impossible to serve two masters, money and God. You will hate one to serve the other. You will. You will be put in a place of great um, antagonism of serving one over the other. So then how can we be generous? Again, looking at the framework, tithings, offerings, and almsgiving. So let me talk about those things, and then I want to spend most of our time in 2 Corinthians on the offerings. Tithing is to care for the temple, the storehouse of the church. It takes money to run things. It does. It takes money just to do this service, to pay for this facility, to pay for the lights, the overhead, the water, the internet, everything, not to mention the staff and all the ministry expenses associated with doing church. Church. It takes money to do this. And tithing is investing a tenth of your annual income into the life of that local church to sustain its ministries, ministries that care for you, serve you, and serve those outside of the wall. A tithe, which comes from the old English word a tenth, means that if you make $50,000 a year, a tithe would be 5000 if you make 100000 a year, <laughs> there we go. See, I knew you all were math majors. Tithing, some would say, no, 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 Alan. No, that's guilt. You're, dealing in, you're trafficking in guilt this morning. I'm not. You'd say, Jesus got rid of that. He fulfilled all the Old Testament expectations of ceremonial giving. I would say, then you haven't read Genesis chapter 14, where Abraham who experiences the grace of God, tithes to Melchizedek. Melchizedek, whose name means the king of Salem, the king of peace, is a prefiguration of Christ. So tithing is a principle of worship to God. It's not a, if you want to, it's a, this is the way that we worship. And so to sustain the life of the church is an honorable and giving thing. Now I know The church has abused and manipulated in many different places over over many different times. That's why I think it's so important that we go to the scriptures when we talk about money. So, next thing, offerings. Offerings are gifts that are above and beyond our tithes. They're special gifts to support the work of the of building the kingdom of God either in the church or outside of the church. Next weekend we get to have the Webbers come, uh, Ben and Sheree and their family. having a dessert for them next Friday night. You'll hear about that. And we, and we're asking all of you and from other churches to give generously above and beyond what you give as a tithe to support them to go be missionaries overseas. That's an offering. And we see in the offering is that you get to invest outside of just the local church in building the kingdom of God which is this universal rule and reign of God in the hearts of men, women, and children. You get to invest in that with the resources that God has given you. And I would say, tell me a better investment for your money that will last. Well, you say, well, I'm going to build a house, and I will pass it down to my kids. Somebody else will will live in that house someday besides your family. Well, I'm going to invest in my school I've driven by plenty of elementary schools shut down and dilapidated now. Well, I'm going to invest in my retirement plan. Just watch the stock market. (laughs) So there's nothing in this world that you invest in that will last, no matter how well-intentioned and thoughtful it is. It will rust out, or it will wear out, or it will burn out. But to invest in the kingdom of God is an eternal investment. It goes on and on and on for eternity. The last way of being generous. So first is tithing. Second is offerings. Third is almsgiving, sacrificial giving. You see a need, a person without food on the street, a person who needs tire or the rent paid. And you, particularly at that moment, have the resources to do it or you can sacrifice to do it. I know many of us had to do that. We know, oh, this person needs help. It's not in my budget. It wasn't in my estate planning. It's not in my foundation, but I'm going to just get out my wallet and give, and give up to assist that person. That's the power of almsgiving, and Jesus has some very clear teachings about it. Don't tell anyone. Don't come running back in. Hey, I saw a person standing up at the stoplight, and I gave him 10 $10. Don't brag about it. Don't talk about it. Don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. Because God who sees what is done in secret, rewards. That's eternal investment. That's almsgiving. So again, tithing, offerings, almsgiving. So let's talk about 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you want to turn in your Bibles uh, to, to chapter 9, and we'll start at verse 1. The Apostle Paul says... He's, he's talking about a collection, an offering that he's asking the Corinthians to give. And he says, there's no need for me to write to you about this service, this offering to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you in Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. So here's what Paul's saying. You, Corinthians, you promised to give an offering to help those in need in Jerusalem. And I've been telling others about your generosity. And the story of your generosity is actually building in them a desire to be generous. And the people, Paul says, are are becoming generous are the Macedonians. Now, the Macedonians are some of the poorest of the poor in Paul's time. They are in extreme poverty, And so Paul's saying, even the poorest of the poor are being motivated to give because of your generosity. Generosity is contagious. It spills over. It causes us to say, wow, that person's generous. Look at what they're doing. I want to become generous. Paul's telling this account. But then he says something that's sort of a rebuke. But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any of you Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. This is the first instance of the Italian mafia coming to pick up their claims. Johnny and Rocco are showing up in Corinth to say, show me the money, Jerry. I want your money, your pledge. Paul says this, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers, Johnny and Rocco, I'm just kidding, to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements of the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Hey, Corinthians, you promised. Follow through on your promise to be generous. They had promised to help in Jerusalem, and they'd promised out of their abundance to give. And we see stories of this happening in the New Testament. This church helps support that. This church makes offerings over there. It's why I think as Anglicans, it's, I really love the fact that we're interconnected. Some, some people gave extremely generously to make this church happen a long time ago. People from outside of here gave to help Church of the Redeemer get started and grow. Their generosity of abundance blessed us. So it's really great when we get to participate as a church, helping other churches get started, supporting our sister church in Rwanda. We're seeing how God moves his money around to build his kingdom for eternal things that will last. In fact, um, as Paul demonstrates, the Macedonians who were so poor were giving out of their poverty to help another church in Thessalonica. So let's look at verse 6. Paul says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. You invest little, you see little. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, offerings, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all, ta- at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I want you to hear Paul's explanation about the way to be generous, especially in the area of offerings. He firstly says you should consider it. You should calculate it. You should sit down and get out a pen and paper. And draw it up. What's my budget? How much do I have? Angela Kay and I were on staff with a, a ministry. We had to raise money. one of the families we got introduced to, when we went to talk to them about supporting our ministry, they said, "Well, we'll tell you how our money works in this family." At the time, they had five kids, young teenagers and a college student, they said, "We know every year how much money we have to give for offerings. We know that amount, that number. And so if you're asking us, then we will sit down as a family and prayerfully consider if we're going to support your ministry and what fund it would come from. That was most encouraging. Even if they'd have said no, I'd have said thank you for what you're doing. What a great testimony of how to calculate and to consider and manage money. This is what Paul's saying. First, sit down and consider it. Number two, he says, that we are to give offerings not reluctantly, nor forced through manipulation. Now, I'm a child of the 80s and 90s, so Sarah McLaughlin was one of them. I like her. Uh, I was watching an infomercial or show a couple of years ago, and she comes on. She's um, real involved in PETA, which I think is a great organization. We shouldn't mistreat animals. But the way that they get your heart is they show you a bunch of starved dogs and cats, and then would you give? And man, I was like, yes. <laughs> Tear your eyes. That's manipulation. And, you know, all of us have done it in some form or fashion to get what we want. Paul's saying that's not how we are to give. Not be manipulated or not be reluctant. He says, freely, Jesus says, freely you have been given the gospel. Freely you've been given eternal life. You've been given a gift that you didn't do anything to earn. It's a free gift to you. It's by the grace of God that He said to you, "I want you to have life and life abundantly, and it's free." And we, we go, "Wait, what's it real? What's the trick? What's, what's the real catch here? What's the cost? None. I just want your whole life forever. That's the cost, right? You've been given the free gift of eternal life." Jesus says, "Then be giving to others freely generous to others and understand this principle that undergirds this is uh, paul says god well i mean the scriptures say god delights in generosity paul says that god loves a cheerful giver he you see and experience the love of god in your life by being a cheerful giver the word there in in greek is hilarion some people say well that means hilarious no it means happy Giving produces joy in our life. It does. Those who hold on to it, tight-fisted, experience guilt and insecurity. But to give it away, it's free. It produces joy in us. I know a guy who has given um, through the Anglican Church millions of dollars away. At the end of his life, he's not socking it away. He's just throwing it out. You need money to help the poor? Tell me how much. I'll write a check. And he had almost given away everything. He had, he had about $100,000 left in his checking account. He, he has a marginal amount of Social Security money to live off of. And he had a Porsche 911. It had about 150,000 miles on it. It wasn't worth as much as it would be brand new. And we called him and said, there's a need. And he said, I'll sell my Porsche. And he sold it and gave it generously. And he said, there's nothing wrong with driving a Honda. No offense to you Honda drivers in the room. That has been a remarkable experience that I've gotten to see firsthand of someone who would say, I'm not about holding on to this stuff. I'm actually about giving it away for God's kingdom, for things that will last. When we give cheerfully, we demonstrate that we love Jesus more than our money. When we give generously, we demonstrate, I love Jesus more than my stuff. And when we give generously, money loses its power over us. Remember, Jesus says there's, there's two gods at work, the one true God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and there's the God of mammon, the God of money, and it has a powerful control over us. When you give away cheerfully your resources, your money, this God loses his power over you and your life. So how do you become generous? You give generously to the kingdom of God. Church history tells us the story of Peter the Great. Peter the Great was the the king, the czar of the early Russian Empire. And Peter the Great uh, wants to get married and he, they look over the whole known world, the Mediterranean, the Europe, and uh, Asia, and North Africa, and they they finally find a woman to marry Peter the Great. And so she lives in Greece. She's Greek, and she's a faithful member of the Orthodox Christian faith. And so they tell Peter that she will marry him if he converts to Orthodoxy. And apparently... She was worth orthodoxy. So Peter the Great agrees to convert to orthodoxy. He takes 500 of his best trained soldiers and certainly all of his dignitaries and emissaries, and they travel down to Greece, to the ocean. And in orthodoxy, in order to be married, you have to be an orthodox believer, so you have to be baptized. And it's full immersion. So Peter the Great and his soldiers agree to be baptized in order for him to just marry this girl. I know you're going to Google afterwards and say, i got to see this lady, right? Um, You can't. They didn't have pictures back then. Sorry. (laughs) So he, he and his armies come down there, and they have a negotiation with the Orthodox leaders. The soldiers say, we'll be baptized from the head down, but we're going to draw our swords, and we're going to keep our swords above the water. Think about that. So they're going to say, from down below, down below, I'm willing to be baptized, but not my sword. Think about the implications of that. I know, you're scared, sorry. <laughs> That's no different than we who would say this. We might say, I'm going to, I'm going to, be baptized. I'm going to give my life to Christ. But what I'm going to keep above the water is my wallet. He can have everything from here down, but not this. To be freely generous is to take that wallet under the same waters and to say, even this, even this wallet, I give to the Lord. Because Freely, I have received. Freely, the gospel has been given to me. I can be freely generous with this for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the work of Christ who, although rich, became poor for us and gave his life so that we might become rich in him. And we pray that you would help us to be freely generous people. And we pray against the spirit of fear that would say, don't do that. We don't have enough. We need more. That you would help us to make investments into things that last, your kingdom and your gospel. And that we would experience the great joy of being generous people in this church and in this world. And thank you for your love that you have made us. Our life is a gift. Let us be generous back to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.